This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Oladranji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, and I'm Karina. Karina, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I'd like to start by asking you, what lights you up every day? Oh, a beautiful sunrise, snow melting, Oh no! a whole bunch of things light me up, but I'd say probably the biggest one in my three kids. Ah, uh, three kids. That's a blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. We're going to talk today about the future of work. And um, can you, can you talk about how you came to be doing this kind of work and then let us know uh, what, what it is? What do you mean by that? Okay, so um, as a career, I started off work, uh, my life as a programmer. Uh, I used to work on Wall Street. And through that journey, I ended up learning about strategy. But that was a very, very long time ago. Um, about a decade or so ago, I decided to get back into that work. Um, started off doing consulting work on the future of money. So this is at the time when Bit Bitcoin was just coming out. Uh, people were... The Apple Watch hadn't yet been announced, or hadn't yet been um, on the market. Uh, countries like Canada were bringing in tap for credit cards. And so I would be talking about all those kinds of things. Um, I'd blog about them. I'd, uh, I'd been running a small business and I just closed it down. And one of the things that I realized at the time was that I might have been money rich, but time poor. And so my blog was intended to give tips to other small business owners to just save them back five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of their day so they could actually either have a little more sleep or be able to read a book to their kids uh, because that's what I felt like I was lacking at the time. I was literally running a small business is exhausting. Um, so that was the intent behind my blog. But as a result, I ended up in a really wonderful space um, and an opportunity to see what was happening on Bay Street. So Bay Street is the Canadian equivalent of Wall Street. And there were some indicators out there um, that helped me see that algorithms and um, AI was coming in and was had, had was having an effect on the career market. Um it was really interesting because I'd seen the financial industry as being a really steady, solid career path for my children. And so it was, and you know, given that I knew what I knew about it, it was uh, an area that I was very interested in. And to see it having that, that, that really interesting inflection point, and given that, you know, my interest in, in technology as well, I could see where the two were intersecting. I could, I could envision where this might be going. And at the same time, I was advising my oldest child, who was uh, in 10th grade in Canada. So he was making his career decisions. And so as you can understand, you're like my mind started going as any parent does. It's like, all right, no, you should be doing you should be doing accounting or you should be doing, you know, 
engineering and like going for all those steady middle class um, career streams, which would give you security for the rest of your life. Yet in my work, I was watching these things get disrupted. So that's really where my interest in the future of work began. And I started just following that thread. Um, where it led me was very interesting because at first I began to imagine what, or I, I was envisioning what was happening as the equivalent of moving from the manual typewriter to the electric typewriter. So it was a technology shift. But as I started expanding on where these dots were going and what was happening, what I could see happening after 2008, um, you were beginning to see Airbnb out there. You had Uber. In essence, you had um, a different way of of accessing the workforce. It had, it was shifting quite dramatically from full-time work to contract work or what we call gig work. And that was a very strong trend and one that I started investigating a little bit more. And I started realizing that if we do, it, that work as a whole was going to shift that way. There was a strong possibility that we were going to be less and less focused on individual careers for the, for our whole life, but more of a portfolio of careers, more um, a blend of different things that would keep us interested, that fit into this contract work philosophy that most corporations were buying into. I don't know if you want to put the rest, the, the next part that I'm going to say to you in this podcast, because it's literally history. That's okay. But just it, say it anyways. <laughs> I'll just say it anyway. Um, only also because it's my version of what happened. But in essence, corporations started, <laughs> started shifting a lot of um, employment work off their balance sheet. So if you don't have someone who's full-time on your balance sheet, then you don't have to pay them pensions. You don't have to pay them vacation time. So if you're able to bring someone on as contract, you're shifting where they sit on your balance sheet. This allows your share price to go up. And that's why we've seen this huge increase in the Dow and like all the various markets is because they've actually moved where they focus their attention. Uh, so you'll see this happen with Apple, with IBM, with you know every single bank out there. And what they would do is instead of having a market de marketing department, a team of, say, 10 people on staff all year round, now they would just buy them in for the three weeks they needed them to create a special project. So Conceptually, this makes a lot of sense if you're a corporation. But on the flip side, if you're the employee, this leaves you very open to market conditions and, and swings and roundabouts and you know what's happening in the in um in your in your work cycle. You don't have a guarantee of consistency. So that's where my 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 headset was. It was like, you know, what can my kids expect if this is what the world is? This is the kind of work that's going to be out there. So that was what the future of work was around 2015. It was about a strong um, focus towards gig work, a strong focus towards using technology, um, anything. I'm a programmer. So any anything that you can repeat, you know, more than three times becomes a routine, a computer program, an AI, robotics. So if you can flip a hamburger the same way, well, a robot can do that. If, you know, on your on your Excel spreadsheet, if you always add the same three numbers in the same way, well, you can write a little routine for that. So these are little bits of automation that were designed to help us. But over time, they become the things that take away, in quotes, easy work from us. And that makes sense when it's easy work that we want to let go of. But if you're a young person who's looking for a job, um, like you're getting your foot in the door, all those easy steps have now been taken away from you. So we're having a whole bunch of conversations now. Now, this is where my ripple starts, right? So it started off with, okay, what happens with gig work? What happens with all these things? 
And then it began to be, all right, what happens next? Once gig work comes in and takes these, what happens to these 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are looking for internship positions? What work are they going to do? How do they get that experience that, you know, someone wants when they come out of a university and, you know, the the um, employers are looking for, show me what you've done. Well, if you've never had the opportunity to do it before, how can you show that you've done it? So all this started floating in. But there was also another thing that started worrying me, which is, you know, we both live in Canada. We both have access, thankfully, to health care um, and pensions. And these are funded out of taxes. Taxes come from people having put money into the system. And that, in essence, means that the government is expecting a steady cash flow. A steady cash flow comes from people who are fully employed. If you've got contract work and you can't decide when someone's employed, how do you guarantee a steady cash flow? So suddenly I started like bouncing mm. forward like 30, 50 years and saying, what is, the, what is the future going to look like when the government can't guarantee a steady income stream? What Am I going to have a pension? Am I going to have health care? So I suddenly started looking at this little change, this little shift in technology drifting through, rippling through and making so much more of an impact than the little bit that we were looking at in 2015. Uh, shall I stop there and allow you to ask questions? No, I feel that's, like I've that's great. I do have, I, uh, that's great. I had a, a ton of questions that came up um, and and thinking as a, as a, a career coach in one of the, the jobs that I do, um, I'm I'm looking at you know the implementation of um, uh, applicant tracking systems where people apply, and the resume goes through an automated uh, system, and um, so you're eliminating the first round of human eyes looking at all of the things that are coming in for the job. It's very difficult to get by one of those if you don't have, as you say, the experience, if you haven't mm -hmm. had the exact things that are, are named and, and in, you know, things have shifted so fast since that time. Um, and yeah, we are seeing in Canada right now, we have free healthcare, but we are seeing incredibly long waits in emergency rooms um, and and for surgeries and things like that, because we have a lack of staff, we have a lack of training. Um, there's there's an awful lot going on right now, as far as work goes. There are uh, businesses and restaurants um, that don't have staff, that can't get staff. Um, it's it's not it's shifted so much. Yeah. And um, one of the one of the things I was wondering about um, in all of this, what is the climate effect? So how has all of these online things, for one thing, because we think, oh, it's online, you're not driving, you're not doing all this stuff, but there's a footprint um, related to data mm -hmm. and data storage. And, and then some of these gig things, uh, like Uber and like, uh, you know, the, the different delivery services and Amazon, as we know, the things that are delivered all the time, the trucks that are driving around all the time. So where did climate come in for you? Um, so as I said, like, I'm, I'm a futurist, so I tend to think about things, um, more like 15 years in the future. That's 
that's usually where my head is on a, any given day. It's very rarely figuring out what's for dinner. Unfortunately for my kids who have turned out to be fantastic cooks because they will oh, never good. fit on time. <laughs> they are. They're amazing. Um, the, uh, I, so since 2015, like I, I, as a futurist, actually, my sister says it beautifully because I, I struggled with this for a long time. I felt like no one was connecting the dots the way I was connecting the dots and nobody was listening. And so one time she sat me down, she said, Karina, you're like a prophetess. You're like that person in the Old Testament who would go out and say, this is going to happen. And no one would listen to you. But then 300 years from now, someone goes, oh, yes, you know, there was this prophetess. So she says, just be at peace with it. You know, just you just have connected the dots ahead of some other people. And when they're ready, they will see it. And so I can see that happening with the future of work right now. I don't have to worry. Every paper I open talks about the future of work. Whereas I was one of a very few in 2015, right? So everyone in the end will catch up. Um, and because people have now caught up and COVID was one of the um, accelerators of that whole conversation, people are more open to a wider conversation on the future of work. And I've got a lot more to say on that, by the way, um, whenever you want to connect. Um, Please do. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, so... I feel like people are now stepping in. They understand that a little bit more. So my role in breaching that conversation, in making people more aware, I've, I've established that. People understand the language. They hear, they, they, hear, they hear the words. They understand what it means. Um, not as, um, there's still work to be done there, but not as it, it is, I'm not the only person. And so I've decided to now step into climate and climate is, um, I mean, there are already a lot of voices in that space, uh, but I thought I'd bring to it what I also brought to the future of work, which is talking to parents and talking to a younger generation. Um, what I decided to do in the future of work was actually to talk about all of these, not from a position of fear, which is how most parents would approach me, they'd be like, well, if robotics is going to take away my child's job, if algorithms are going to take away, and everything I was hearing was about being um, deprived of opportunity. But I would then turn around to them and say, how many of you all you know, rode in here on a horse? And no one had, the car park was full. So it was indicative of the fact that over time, everyone moves into what technology offers you as an opportunity. And that's where the work would come for the children, you know, their children. Um, what I wanted people to understand, though, is that they should have a very different mindset, a mindset that is very attuned to change. We've got a lot of change coming in ahead of us. So I was focusing on mindset shift and also talking to parents because we parents are probably the last generation who are raised in the industrial era. These new kids have never known a world without the internet. So the world that they're raised in is completely different. They don't have loss. They don't have a sense of loss because they've never had the other world. We are the ones who are making that adjustment. And so very often when we speak, we speak from a sense of, oh, I wish you could have, or you know, um, taking, you know, speaking to the way we were raised. So my role that I've selected for myself right now is to talk to parents and say, okay, this is the way we were raised. These kids are going to be raised completely differently. Or they're going to be addressing a whole different set of, of um, opportunities, of challenges. What do you take from your old world that will still be true in the new world? Hmm. Right. What tools can I as a parent 
use or parent or an adult, if you like, but what tools can I take from my experience, from my ancestry and give as support to a young generation when we have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. Now, I have this phrase, um, like I'm the span of seven generations. And I, I mm. have since discovered that it's actually the seven generations is a phrase that's used a lot in the indigenous cultures as well. But mine came because I actually know my great grandmothers. I, they were alive mm. when I was young and they used to cook for me. So I have I have touched four generations past. And if I'm lucky, I will touch my great grandchildren. So I am the span of seven generations. And mm. with that in mind, my great-grandchildren, there's a chance that they or their great-grandchildren will end up on Mars. What can I give my child today that they can pass along to that child to allow them to live on Mars? What are the tools? What are the, where's the confidence that I can give them? And what I decided that I can give them is the things that my great-grandparents gave me through my family structure. Those are persistent skills. Those are not the skills that you learn in university that have a half shelf life. I grew up as a computer mm. programmer. I learned COBOL. I learned Pascal. You don't see those things anymore, <laughs> right? So those <laughs> things. So a lot of technologies that we have today have a sh have a shrinking shelf life, but there are some qualities that have or some some knowledge that has an intergenerational shelf life. It's actually much more persistent. And those are the things that have been, you know, gradually passed down generation to generation, critical thinking, ability to communicate, um, you know, like you'll see all these right now cluster under what we're calling EQ skills. Mm -hmm. To me, it's no surprise that we're actually highlighting these skills suddenly. They weren't as dominant when we were going through university or in our early career years. They were important, but they were not focused on as strongly as they're being focused on right now. And the reason they're being uh, strongly focused on right now is because we're going through a huge shift. And so when you're in a huge shift, it is these deep anchor skills that are going to hold you. They're going to tether you. And so that is what I choose to pass from one to my children in the hope that they will pass to their children. This is singing to my heart because I spend a lot of my time teaching these skills. <laughs> uh, coming out of a healthcare background and teaching communication skills to healthcare workers. So, okay. um, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot there that is uh, fascinating. I love uh, the term persistent skills or anchoring skills. Mm -hmm. I know they've like, the it's got different phrases. That, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The idea that these would would serve people well on Mars, for example, is is fascinating. So when when you're talking to people about that, how are you inviting parents to shift their thinking from that place of lack, that place of deprivation, um, to to the place of opportunity and abundance? How are you getting them to make that shift? Part of it is me still working through it, but uh, where I've chosen to position myself right now is say, what is one of the biggest growth opportunities right now? You've probably come across the UN Sustainability Goals, right? The 17 UN mm -hmm. Sustainability Goals. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you've come across JP Michel. No. He's Canadian out of Ottawa. He does spark cards, but we share mm. a very similar philosophy. And that is the time of having a job is changing. Mm -hmm. A job is no longer a position. Yeah. 
But if you look at your job as, as solving a problem, that's actually got a much longer shelf life. You've got a lot more runway on something like that. And you can start those discussions with your kids when they're very young. You can start it over the dinner table. You can talk to them about things that they're passionate about. So when you're passionate about something, you get really engaged in it. As you can see, <laughs> I am about these topics. Um, and But the thing is, each person is different, you know. So someone might really love frogs. You know, uh, I remember uh, with Tanya and with, they, with one of her... Um, earlier podcast episodes, a gentleman, a, a young, when he was a young boy, he loved birds. I still remember listening to that episode and how fascinated he was with the birds in his backyard. So each of us tends to have something that is almost formative, but whatever it is, it tends to set the stage for where our lifetime interests lie. And if you lean into that and, and try and figure out which of the UN sustainability goals it pairs with, you begin to develop a deep, what I'm calling a deep body of interest. It's research that you instinctively do because you love it and you're interested in it. And if you start um, solving the problems that you care about, you'll have a much longer runway on whatever you choose to do in life. So a different way of looking at it is um, if you look at a school principal, Theoretically, a school principal is a teacher. A teacher is someone who stands in a classroom and teaches and shares information. But a school principal very rarely is in front of a, a class of students. Instead, they're running a group of adults. They're, you know, figuring out, you know, balance sheet. They're having to negotiate with people. They're disciplinarians. They're psychologists. They're probably doing every, everything else except for teach. And that, but they're still delivering on the objective of passing information on from one community to another. And that's essentially what I'm trying to get at is like when you're trying to solve a problem, you lean into every position necessary to get the job done, just like we are doing right now. We're all trying to solve climate, hmm. and each of us is bringing the skills we have and trying to deploy it. The ultimate objective isn't that we are a podcaster or that we are a speaker or that, you know, whatever it is that we, we choose to do, it's that we're trying to solve a problem and we're trying to bring whatever we can to, to make that happen. So uh, that end, <laughs> ended up where I was expecting it to go with. <laughs> That's what happens on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we end up in the oddest places. <laughs> but it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful to think of that as a, as a, rather than even an employee, as a problem solver. I'll often say, uh, in job interview situations, you are the answer to their problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, how, how can you be that answer to their problem? Yeah. Um, so I, li I like that, um, that shift. And I love that you're aligning it with the 17 uh, sustainability goals. I think that's, that's brilliant. It just gives parents a place or it gives individuals a place to start, you know, it, and, and I think, UN sustainability goals are a universal concept, mm. or it's a universal, like a global concept. So no matter where you go, you can talk about it. You can, you know, and very often when I interview people for my newsletter, I'll ask them, what are, you, what are the two, two or three UN sustainability goals that speak loudest to you? Mm -hmm. And we'll use those because people can so quickly identify. They're like, oh yeah, so that's, that's a person who's, you know, interested in economics. That's a person who's interested in clean water. And you can gravitate towards your your people, your tribe, right? It just makes the conversation, it, it gives you a, a better starting point for the next conversation you're going to have. Um, and then you'd asked why climate? 
climate, obviously, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. Like my first question is, what's not climate, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you can solve for everything else that's going on. But if you don't figure out the climate, what is the point of everything we're doing? Mm -hmm. Like, I really do feel that um, we have, we had a window. It is shrinking rapidly. I'm hoping it, that we will sit up and pay attention. But um, I've been in this space since 1993. Yeah, I know people who went to the, um, to the Rio summit. So I've been watching what's been going on. It's just been really frustrating to to watch how slowly do I want to say how slowly good people are making good decisions and then other people are coming in and and putting roadblocks in their place and that frustrates me a lot um and the and the the person who's going to pay the biggest price are the kids who are being born this year hmm. right they will never have what we had and there are some beautiful spoken poems out there that touched me a lot so I just lean into that and say all right we really have to fix climate, but we also need to look at climate as an employer. Hmm. So where future of work and climate dovetail for me is when I talk to a parent who's saying, I don't have time or I don't have money to put into this. You know, why should we as a nation invest in this? Well, if you look at it as a as the natural next step to take over, you know, like to fill the gap for where um, we're losing jobs right now. Well, isn't that a great win-win situation <laughs> it's like we have this problem that needs solving and we have these people who need jobs and you know if we can get them to move closer towards each other um we as as an as a globe succeed right as as a world mm. and like earlier this year i went out to um bc uh, to um alberta did the uh the icefields parkway mm. like an absolute gem i'd never been there before uh, so that's the the road between um, Banff and uh, Jasper. And you realize when you're driving that the earth is going to continue to exist. The earth, you know, unless an, uh, it gets hit by an asteroid and, and disintegrates, the earth is going nowhere. Mm -hmm. The question is, is it's us. It's like <laughs> we keep saying we're going to save the earth. We're not going to save the earth. The earth will take care of itself. It's done that for, for millennia. The question is, do humans want to be on earth when it saves itself? And so that's the question I think people don't, don't lean into sufficiently. It's like we're protecting ourselves. We're protecting the human race. We're not protecting the world. Um, so what are we going to do about climate? What are we, where are we going to play so that we actually stay persistent on this planet? How do we want our great-grandchildren to enjoy the things that we grew up with? Do we? And if we do, what are we doing about it? I mean, I have very strong, beautiful memories of growing up on beaches, right? That's something I want for my grandchildren. Absolutely. I, so um, I don't know if that answered the question, but I have a strong reason for wanting climate <laughs> to be a huge employer of the future. I was uh, listening to our national um, radio station the other day, CBC, and they were uh, they were talking about a new term um, that we've we've come through the industrial age, and the new age. The name that is being proposed is the Anthropocene age or era. Um, speaking about the era in which the humanity did the most harm to the planet, <laughs> uh, so. Hopefully we can come through that and into a new era for our great-grandchildren. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. And uh, I've been really fortunate. Um, so here in here in Toronto, I'm actually also part of a third age learning group. And one of the gentlemen there is an environmental consultant. And uh, he helped design the Thames barrier um, in the 1980s. And so I learned a lot from him. And one of the things I learned was every solution is going to bring its own set of problems. So as we start thinking about how we want to solve things, we also want to think about it as a rolling issue. It's like each problem, each solution will in its turn become, possibly become a problem. So either we need to have enough um, flags in place so that we, we, you know, get out of that or make switches before they become too, before it becomes too late. But, uh, you know, so just addressing climate, I don't want people to look at it and, you know, think of it in Hollywood terms of, oh, yes, they turned on a switch one day and everything <laughs> went away and suddenly everything was hunky-dory. I think that's the biggest disservice we do ourselves is because just as as this whole change seeped in so gradually, the change is also going to be gradual. And we have to support the change and, in this case, accelerate the change so that we're able to stop disasters happening as frequently as they are. Um, but at the same time, we just have to realize that it, you know, this is not an on off switch situation. And then to me, that's, that's a communications issue. So Karina, I'm going to ask you uh, one more question. I'm going to ask you, where do you see hope? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> uh, someone actually asked me that question earlier this week because uh, I told them that I was a futurist. And so they said, you know, what is your position of the futurist? And I realized that every futurist actually exists from a position of hope. Hmm. You can't be a futurist if you're not positively thinking about the future. <laughs> if you think it's going to get destroyed, well, pick a different <laughs> job. It's, so where my hope comes in is we have, as of yesterday, was a day before, 8 billion people on mm -hmm. Earth. We had half as many people when we sent a rocket to the moon with a you know brain power of a calculator. So we now have more people, more intelligence, more educated people out there, more motivated people consistently working towards these solutions. We have young minds, and so long as we do not get in their way, and that to me is a very important part of what my communication is, that's my responsibility to their parents, is um, let us get out of their way and let them come up with solutions. Uh, yes, we're here to help. Yes, we we have technology, we have skills, et cetera, et cetera. But I do feel a lot of the dynamic change that's going to happen over the next 20 years is going to come from the kids who are literally finishing high school, finishing university, already in their first jobs right now. Um, so to me, that's very positive. Um, my reason for hope is that, uh, the like I've always used this phrase, the best idea can come from anyone, anywhere, at any time so long as they are not depressed, so long as the environment exists for them to think positively. Because from that, you 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 dream rich dreams, you dream rich solutions. And we don't want Band-Aid solutions. We want rich solutions. We want solutions that theoretically could, dis, in quotes, disrupt. And I don't want to, you know, uh, disabuse that that word too much. But I want, I want, I want the kind of dreaming that says it's okay to change the financial system the way it is right now. It's okay to change the social structure the way it is right now. It's okay to change politics. You know, nothing is off the table because it is quite a 
big ask that we have right now, but it's their ask. It is their grandchildren, it's their great-grandchildren as much as it's ours. So why are we not allowing them a seat at the table? And I mm. feel that they have that same impetus. And to me, that that energy that comes from knowing that there's an urgency is going to create great solutions. And you ask why I have hope. I'm a, I, I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s generation, you know, 1970s and 1980s. And we lived with nuclear proliferation. We don't have that right now. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we were very motivated to stop that. Right. So I think that same sense of urgency is going to come from this new generation. And we're going to start seeing movement from beneath, from from this groundswell. Um, and like I said, our biggest responsibility is to get out of their way. Mm. A few years ago, Seth Godin wrote a book that we bought a bunch of and gave to all of our um, young adult children at the time called What to Do When It's Your Turn. Um, and it was it was speaking about that, like it's it's your turn. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so I think uh, I think we'll leave it at that. But Karina D'Souza, thank you so much for um, bringing your wisdom to the Carbon Sessions and uh, for all the work that you're doing in the world. It's so needed. And um, and you're an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. And I love being part of this organization and wonderful minds that are so motivated to make a difference. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.